Again, good to have you here this morning. We're going to have preaching from God's Word and a little bit of a history lesson. I hope and pray, again, it's a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would guide in this message. Lord, help us to have clarity of thought. Lord, I pray that you'd give me wisdom. Lord, we need to hear from you. Speak, we pray, clearly from your word and help us to have ears to hear. I pray in Christ's name, amen. There are some things that just weren't supposed to happen. Last night, 30 people in Baltimore were shot at a party. Two, including an 18-year-old young lady, was killed. This isn't supposed to happen. There are those who are doing their very best to reap reward or their way by approaching that one way or another. But believers see this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We also understand this, that when a nation turns its back on God, Just like Israel, be sure your sin will find you out. It behooves God's people to take the time to recognize what they can do to be a part of the answer, even though that answer, please listen, might seem overwhelming. Everybody can do something. Like I used to teach the teenagers. I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do by the grace of God, I will do. Could you imagine if the Christians, true Bible-believing Christians in America got their eyes off themselves, and instead turned to an almighty God and trusted him, confessed their sin, and said, Lord, please move on America. Now, what would happen? I don't know. That's up to God. But what's up to us is obeying our God and heeding his word. I want to take you to two passages, if I could please. These are the basis for what we're going to be looking at this morning. First of all, would you turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in turning... To chapter 3, I would like for you to look at verse 13. Verse 13 reads this, 
But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Then would you keep your finger there and go back to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, we will read three verses, starting with verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. You take a nation that is doing what 2 Timothy 3.13 says, deceiving and being deceived, and you've got a problem. But you have God's people in mass again, recognizing, you know what? I just need to do what's right because we'll reap if we faint not. You have that and God can use it. Go back, if you would please, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. When Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, evil men, these are evil in this, that they are actively in opposition to that which is good. And we've got people like that all over the nation. You see them on television, if you take the time to watch. You hear of them. They are actively seeking to tear down what is good. We do have a time, we might as well admit it. Evil is being called good, good is being called evil. He said, evil men, and that also seducers. This is an interesting word. It it, it literally means a howler, a howler, an enchanter, one who chants spells. Now, this kind of a person is an imposter, imposter, excuse me, a deceiver, because they don't have power in and of themselves, but they are seeking to deceive people, to seduce people to what they desire. The deceiving is one who leads astray, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, it says, deceiving but then being deceived. I read several commentators on this. It was fascinating. But there was one note I wanted to bring this morning from expositors, and it says this. Those who deceive others impair in so doing their sense of the distinction between truth, 
and falsehood and thus weaken their power of resistance to self-deceit and to imposition by others. To put it plainly, this is what you have. You have people that sit in chairs in front of cameras that lie so much, they begin to to believe not only their lies, but the lies of others, and it goes downhill from there. You go back over the decades, and you realize that those who used to just simply report what is going on are now doing nothing of the kind. That's what has taken place in America. And it's not just journalists, it's entertainers, it's educators. They are there deceiving and being deceived. Suddenly, education, true education, is not the proverbial reading, writing, and arithmetic. No, it's, it's something else. It's bringing young people to an agenda. It is declaring that children that are as young as 12 can decide what they are or what they would rather be down the road or whatever to the point that they can choose to leave mom and dad and have surgery as they see fit. This is in a land where it used to be that a girl couldn't get her ear pierced by herself unless she was, what, 17, 18 years old. This is what is going on. Deceiving and being deceived. A march in New York City with drag queens and others, some of them absolutely debauched in nakedness, chanting, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. That's America, deceiving and being deceived. I already told you, at least some of you, of a friend of mine, Dave Wright, who was uh, on staff at a church in San Francisco, Hamilton Square Baptist Church. One day, the church was accosted by homosexuals. They were tearing things up on the outside, And when some of them went downstairs, went down on the outside and looked through the glass doors and saw my friend's two sons, they started pounding on the glass, screaming, we want your children, give us your children. Deceiving and being deceived. If you don't think that these people they, you know, they, they don't want children. I'm asking you, why do they insist on the opportunity to read books to children at public libraries? Why aren't they instead <laughs> reading to senior saints? You got to admit, that's a good question. Deceiving and being deceived. Michigan has now uh, excuse me, uh, voted on a law banning the ability to speak to minors about the truth 
concerning the LGBT lifestyle. If you do it, you can spend up to five years in prison and or spend up to $10,000 in a fine for just talking to a child, talking to a young person about what the Bible says about what is a man and what is a woman and what God created, what God created. Deceiving and being deceived. California has now set it up. I believe our governor is going to sign it into law. Parents, if they do not support a law, parents, if they do not support a child's desire to transition, and you can't transition from one sex to another, we know that. All they can do is bring out the scalpels and the scalpels and the knives. And we know what that means. But if they do that, they're saying they're transitioning. If you stop that, they can take away your children out of the household. Again, deceiving and being deceived. This last week, we saw teenagers by the hundreds destroying downtown areas in American cities, stomping on the cars, starting fires. And by the way, in France, they're going crazy over there. You just, you know, you hurt for the world right now because we know Christ is the answer. But the problem is because of certain people that were helped put in place by men like George Soros, whose own nation won't take him back because of how wicked he is. These people, attorney generals, are allowing criminals to be set free. Just, you know, the police come, they do their job, and that's it. Otherwise, set free. I saw a video yesterday. A young lady came out while taking a video, walked up to two men who were stealing the wheels off of her car and said, you can't do this. What are you doing? They immediately got in the van behind her car and drove off. She gave the video to the police. The police recognized one man, the other man, they couldn't quite uh, find out who he was. They went and arrested this man. He's got a criminal record that long. They arrested him, booked him, and he was out immediately. Immediately. Couldn't do anything about it. He has been told he created or, or, or he uh, did a felon. He, he did a felony, but still he got out. That's insanity, deceiving and being deceived. Some of you know about the ministry. I've mentioned it several times. Morale boosters uh, that's run by Tom Langan and his wife. Just being an encouragement to Border Patrol agents and law enforcement in different cities. Tom, this last week, went to a city within Los Angeles, 
spoke to 50 law enforcement officers, 50 of them. And he asked them this, if Jesus Christ was here right now, standing in front of you, what would you ask him concerning your profession? What would you ask him about what it is, you know, what you're doing, is it worth it, et cetera, et cetera? They kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, but then the questions started coming. Four of them were this. Why must evil go unpunished so often? Why do sinners do what they do? Please pray before church this morning. I did a video answering that question. Why do sinners do what they do? It's going to be posted online with morale boosters. Please pray that the message gets through. Number three, why does it feel like most of society hates law enforcement? Number four, we ask for more support from the public and communities we serve. Why are we looked on as the bad guys? Question, or excuse me, answer. There are people out there that are deceiving, and in so doing, they've been deceived. It breaks your heart. You see what's happening to the nation. Is it worth fighting back? Answer, yes. Again, Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Challenge, but sin is a reproach any people. Number two, the call, our call. I didn't tell you the name of the first point. The first point was the curse, what Paul told Timothy. Galatians 6.9 is the call. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, We shall reap if we faint not. That is a promise, a promise that we need to believe. The word weary there, the words weary are from a word used of a husbandman who's tempted to just kind of slacken away and, and not work as hard because it's weary work. How many of you like the heat? Is it okay? When I was doing concrete, we didn't like days like today. How many of you know what happens to wet concrete when it gets in hot weather? And it doesn't want to back, it can't back off. Now, I have to be honest, the hottest weather I ever spent, uh, the, the hottest weather I ever poured concrete in it was 106 degrees. Today's going to be 109. But you get that concrete on the ground, and I mean, you, you don't stop. You have spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to put that down. You need to work it like the, um, the person that hired you wants it done, and there's no turning back. So you just 
keep working. Yeah, it's tiring, but you can't go, well, you know what, I think I'll come back tomorrow and I'll finish it. Now stop and think. There's times we'd wish things were different. Like somebody said yesterday, Mayberry's not coming back. It's not coming back. We wish things were like they were, but they're not. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him. Hey, he'll direct your path. I will be with thee, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What can we then continue to do? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Why? Because it's worth doing. Why? Because righteousness exalteth a nation. Why? Sin is a reproach to any people. We don't want to be deceived. We need the truth of God's word. The word faint there means to be overcome by heat or toil. We just give up. We can't do that. So what is the answer? Well, we take heed to what the word of God tells us. In 2 Corinthians 9, we read this, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully, he will reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give in this case, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Whatever it is that we do, we do it with our might by God's grace. Now, maybe our might to us is weak, but God can take that and multiply it. Adoniram Judson is one of my favorite missionaries in recent history. Adoniram Judson made an incredible statement. Listen to this. If we succeed without suffering, it is because others suffered before us. If we suffer Without succeeding, it will mean that others will succeed after us. But there is no success without suffering. You know why there's no success without suffering? We live in a sinful world. We are here in a hostile land to give the gospel. This world does not embrace our Savior. If he came again, he'd be killed again. Instead, we're here. And guess what? We're having to fight for our freedom once again in our own nation, a nation that was founded to give us freedom of religion. For that reason, we don't quit. Yeah, but it's just too hard. I know. But it's not up to us. It's up to him. He's the one that gives us the power, which brings us to the last point 
continuation. Go back to 2 Timothy, if you would please, and look at verse 14. But continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. You see this book? You don't stop going through it. Are you listening? Did you read your Bible this last week? Did you read your Bible several times this last week? Hey, this is our nourishment. And all God's people said, this is where we learn what we are to do, what we are not to do, how we are to live, who we are to obey and lean on. This is where we get into it. And when we're there, we're learning, hey, you know what? This is how you seek God's will. This is how he has us pray. This is how we fellowship in a local church. This is how we work in a local church together. And you know something? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. That's the continuation. Adam Clark said this, No man, however well instructed in the things of God, or grounded in divine grace, is out of reach of temptation, apostasy, and final ruin. Hence, the necessity of watching unto prayer, depending on God, continuing in the faith, and persevering unto the end. In other words, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Now, you're not in a church where you're going to learn, is there life on Mars? And if there is, I'm just going to go up there and spread love. That's not what we're going to teach here. By God's grace, what we want is for people to get to know this book. That's what Sunday school is all about. That's what Wednesday night is all about. That's what this is all about. Somebody say amen. Listen to me. Listen to me. I can't stress this enough. In the next months, years, however long we have, The world doesn't need our personality. The world doesn't need our jokes. The world doesn't need our money. It's not that much anyway. What the world needs is our Savior. Now, we've got to to stop, excuse me, we need to start thinking as a local church, What are we going to do? What are we going to start over again to get that out? Just that. Again, when I I have my devotions, I remind myself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I also remind myself from Revelation 20, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I love what somebody put on Facebook recently, showed a picture of the Titanic, said, you know, you stop and think about this. On the Titanic, there's a lot of attention on the Titanic right now. On the Titanic, there were rich people, there were, you know, middle of the road, whatever. There were the poorest of the poor. They were all there, all kinds of classes of people. But after the Titanic went down and names were posted in New York City, there was only two kinds of people, saved, lost. 
That's the very same way God sees it. I think it was D.L. Moody. He looked at people and he saw there's either an S or an L on their forehead. We need to be thinking just like that. So we've got this book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be furnished, may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We need to start making sure we're being fed. You need to get into the word. Yeah, but I've been a Christian for 87 years. Well, praise God for that. I've been a Christian born again since I was age 13. That means, let's see, right now I'm 57. How many of you have noticed that you need the word of God just as much, if not more? Absolutely. As newborn babes, as newborn babes, not, well, since you're a newborn babe, this is how you eat. No, 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 no. Everybody, no matter where they're at, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That is what is needed. Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I have realized, and maybe you have too, there's something that our culture today loves. It's a five-letter word, noise. I mean, it's not just talk, it's noise. You know, in the next couple of nights, on up until 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 a.m., that teenager down the road from your house will continually be experimenting with stuff, being, you know, fireworks. And, of course, you'll love it, right? We love noise. What we need to do is take care of the noise that we can take care of and get quiet before God and listen to his voice. I said, get quiet before God and listen to his voice. I don't know about you, but I have needed that voice more than ever. Absolutely more than ever. Faith will be fought against. It will be challenged. It will be corrupted. It will be cast aside. It'll be corrupted by television preachers, people on the internet, all kinds. It'll be cast aside. We have now gotten to the point where only 30% of Americans go to church, any kind of church, any kind, on any given Sunday. That has come down in the last few years from 40%. We're casting God aside. You know why this nation was founded? It was founded on the faith of our fathers. 
Not everybody was a Christian. I understand that. But there were many, many that were, truly. And some came to Christ in the midst of it all. And others at least understood the power of the word of God. I want to tell you a little bit about what God did in this land. This is the history lesson. But there's something that we need to hear because it brings back this thought. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. See that flag right there? An appeal to heaven. Let me tell you a little bit about that. This was the thinking of our forefathers. When a lower court does not give you justice, you appeal to a higher court. But if the higher court does not come with a righteous answer, you appeal to heaven. That was their thinking. That was the inspiration of that flag. It was one of the Navy's first flags and actually flew over the city of Philadelphia when our nation's capital was in Philadelphia. The tree that is on that flag represents the eastern white pine. They would grow to an average of 150. They were ideal to be used on ships, specifically as our friends across the ocean sought, the British military ships. They saw those eastern white pines as making wonderful masts. So this is what happened. England would send over people, walk onto your property and mine, look around at the trees and say, the king wants that one. The king wants that one. The king wants that one. In fact, it ultimately got to the point that if it was 12 inches or more in diameter, no matter where it was, it belonged to the king. Colonists did not appreciate that. In fact, when certain representatives of the king came along, they would riot. Then they'd get arrested. But then they rioted again. They covered their faces with soot. The king's sheriff came along and said, you can't do this. About 30 of them came in and beat the sheriff up. Things weren't going well for these people. So this is what took place. When the Revolutionary War started, General Washington's secretary, a man by the name of Colonel Joseph Reed, suggested in a letter, October 21st, 1775, a flag with a white background and a tree in the middle with the motto, an appeal 
to heaven. Now stay with me on this, please. On July 26th, 1776, the Massachusetts General Court chose it as the flag of the state's navy, Massachusetts, which eventually would grow into America's navy. That was their flag. Our ships went out with an appeal to heaven. Now, what's really interesting is the background of that phrase. I have a book by John Locke entitled The Second Treaties on Civil Government, written in 1690. If you've studied American history, you know that this book was extremely influential in the founding of our nation. He said this, John Locke, where the body of the people is deprived of their right, where there lies no appeal on earth, they have just cause to make their appeal to heaven. Where there is no justice on earth to decide controversies among men. God in heaven is judge. He alone, it is true, is judge of the right. So in this, he, the man, should appeal to the supreme judge. Patrick Henry came back to this in his speech, Give me liberty or give me death, March 23rd, 1775. He said this, an appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. We shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations. In the Massachusetts Provincial Congress, it was stated April 26th, 1775, right after the battles of Lexington and Concord, quote, appealing to heaven for the justice of our cause, we determined to die or be free, unquote. Thomas Jefferson helped draft the Declaration of Causes and Necessities for Taking Up Arms, again, July 6, 1775, which stated, quote, We most solemnly before God and the world resolved to die free men rather than to live slaves with a humble confidence in the mercies of the supreme and impartial judge and ruler of the universe, unquote. Which brought us a year later to the Declaration of Independence saying somewhat the same thing appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do declare that these colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. By the way, for anybody listening to this message, don't listen to the liars that tell you that the founders never talked about God. They are deceiving and being deceived. Now, 
My dad would smack me when I get to heaven if I don't mention this. Where the army fought on land and the navy fought at sea, a special force was created of soldiers who could sail and fight with the navy and also lead an an invasion and fight on land. So, on November 10th, 1775, the the Continental Congress passed a resolution creating two battalions of Continental Marines. But there's a reason why I mention that. The Marines fought in the Barbary Wars, remember, to the shores of Tripoli. They fought against the Muslim pirates of North Africa. Now, this starts getting interesting. The United States Marine ships, revenue Marines is what they called them then, began intercepting slave ships from North Africa after the U.S. government passed the Slave Trade Act of 1794. Captured Africans had been sold at Arab Muslim slave markets since the 7th century. Did you hear what I just said? I'm going to repeat it again. Beginning, excuse me, captured Africans had been sold at Arab Muslim slave markets since the 7th century, notably in Morocco, Algiers, Tripoli, Cairo, and Zanzibar, something that our former Muslim president just didn't mention for some reason. Beginning in the 15th century, Arabs sold African slaves to Portuguese merchants, followed by Spanish, Dutch, French, and English merchants. Hence, what took place here in America. Arabs also made slaves of Europeans that had been captured at sea or coastal towns. In fact, the Ottoman Empire, again, something that you just don't hear mentioned, The Ottoman Empire captured and sold about 2 million, 2 million Russian and Polish Lithuanians as slaves, most notably at slave markets on the Black Sea. A 19th century account of the Arab-African slave trade was given by by missionary David Livingston. Listen to this. We passed a slave woman, shot or stabbed through the body and lying on the path. An Arab who passed early that morning had done it in anger at losing the price he had given for her because she was unable to walk any longer. We passed a woman tied by the neck to a tree and dead. We came upon a man dead from starvation. He said, now again, this is from David Livingston. The strangest strangest disease I have seen in this country seems really to be brokenheartedness. 
and it attacks free men who have been captured and made slaves. David Livingston, that godly man, estimated that each year over 80,000 Africans died before reaching the Muslim slave markets. Over 80,000 every year. He wrote to the editor of the New York Herald, David Livingston, and said this, if my disclosures regarding the terrible slavery should lead to the suppression of the East Coast slave trade, I shall regard that as a greater matter by far than the discovery of all the Nile sources together. Because you remember, he was there searching out Africa, the continent of Africa as well. The U.S. Revenue Cutter Service intercepted slave ships coming from Africa and freed nearly 500 of them. One such slave ship, known as the Antelope, was captured by the Marines on June 29, 1820, off the coast of Florida. <clears throat> to free the slaves, a lawyer by the name of Francis Scott Key. Sound familiar? To free the slaves, Francis Scott Key fought legal battles in their defense, spending his own time and his own money for seven years, arguing for the slaves' freedom all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Francis Scott Key also gave legal help to John Quincy Adams in his 1841 fight to free the slaves from the ship Amistad. Now, sadly, there are battles that we have fought here in America because politicians and businessmen wanted to get rich. Others, they wanted gain of their agenda. Or the forces of wickedness were just working just to pull things down. But some battles are worth fighting for. And we remind ourselves, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Freedom is worth fighting for. Freedom of worship, freedom from wicked intentions of wicked despots. We can do one of three things. We can be content living under the curse, deceiving and being deceived. Or we can hear the call, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now, again, I remind you, that's a promise of God. Does God keep his promises? He keeps his promises. Whatever we do here, it will reap 
benefit. Not because we're so mighty or so smart, but in obeying the will of God, God promises we'll reap if we faint not. Which brings us to the third point. We can then continue in the faith, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, like let us not be weary in well-doing. That is what I praise God for. Folks, it all comes back to this. The gospel that is found in this book and the testimony of what our God and Savior has done for us and what he continues to do. Amen? Now let me ask you, hey, we're family here. You ever gotten weary in well-doing? Big time. You know, I think this weekend is a great time to get serious with our God. So you know what, Lord? It's right to do right. Lord, I want to do right for your glory. I'm not going to fall aside like the scripture talked about. But instead, I'm going to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And we want to do what is right. We just got a, an email from our missionary in Hong Kong. And he was telling us that there are people that are fleeing Hong Kong because of the situation that has taken place there. It's over, you know, it's, it's communist control now. Right now, there are about 10% of Christian leaders have left Hong Kong. And about the same amount, I believe, of just Christians in general. They've left, they don't wanna be there. People are fleeing California <laughs> for somewhat the same reason. How many of you were born in California? Raise your hand. Ah, good people. We all realize this. This ain't the state we were born in. Question. Do we flee? Or do we say, Lord, if you want me here, I will do your will because it's worth obeying you. And you know something? We'll reap if we faint not. Amen? I hope and pray that that's our meditation. Who knows what could do? I was praying this morning, up early, and just and that's not a brag. It just, this, this time was on my heart. But I'm praying again for a Josiah moment. I'm praying that our governor comes to Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be great. I'm praying for our president. I don't know the future, but I know our God. 